Hi, welcome to the second episode of Breaking Free Podcast, a body, mind, spirit approach to mental health. I'm your host, Summer Seitz. And again, I'm a licensed mental health counselor for nearly 11 years, and I'm excited to share this second episode with you. First of all, I'd like to start by just saying that I've really enjoyed the wonderful response to the first podcast. I feel that you're excited about this approach to healing as I am, and I invite you to follow this podcast um, so that you can get it more regularly. You can follow it on Transistor FM. You could go to wholewomenlink.com and add your email. Again, it's all free. These emails are not given to any outside source. Or you can like us on Facebook at wholewomenlink.com. I think it's just as wholewomenlink. And you'll receive the next episode. Many have received it from others' personal pages at this point. You know, this is kind of a grassroots effort uh, at this point. But I'm hoping to eventually get it on iTunes and places where maybe it's a little bit more accessible. But uh, bear with me. Uh, This is a labor of love, and it's just a message that I'm hoping to share. But I'm hoping that, you know, if you feel so prompted, that you'll share it with others. Because I do believe that we're meant to live free of our shame and our pain bodies and and to live you know our true and highest life and that's the goal of this podcast and that's for everyone today's episode is focusing on the body the body is the gateway to our healing let me say that again the body is actually the gateway to our healing now many of us live in a life where we try to avoid our bodies at all costs I don't know about you, but I'm not necessarily one who wants to spend a lot of time staring in the mirror. You know, I don't even necessarily always feel comfortable looking at the body. We're so critical of ourselves that I think sometimes we avoid connection with these bodies. We also don't often accept the emotions that are coming up in our bodies. We seek to numb them out to avoid them. There's many different ways that people do that. Um, addictions come to mind as central to that. We have ways of not feeling. Um, we also have, uh, you know, workaholism, people keeping themselves so busy that they can't think and feel. They don't stop to think and feel. And when they do, they're very uncomfortable about what they find there. Um, we also have, um, you know, avoidance things that we do, like entertainment. Uh, people will come home from work or they had their minds busy all day and they'll immediately jump on to, you know, some form of media or entertainment where they don't, where that, you know, that that's thinking for them for the rest of the evening, right? Maybe it's the news or it's the show that you like to watch, but that that's where your mind is engaged. That's where your body is engaged. Maybe living through these other people, their ideas and thoughts, and not really going inside and figuring out how you feel and think about things. One thing that I've learned from practicing mindfulness, which we'll be talking about today, is how important it is to stop and be still. It's so important to stop and be still. That takes courage. I know as I say that, that took courage for me. It wasn't easy always to see what showed up there. But I want to tell you about a hero of mine. His name's Victor E. Frankel. He wrote a book that changed my life and will always be a pinnacle in my healing process. I read it my, well, I read it somewhere in the first few years of college, but um, it's called Man's Search for Meaning. I don't know, maybe some of you have read it, but it's still one of my favorite books of all time. Not because it's a fun read or, 
you know, that type of read, but it just paradigm shift, shifted me forever. And Viktor Frankl said this, this is just one of my uh, favorite quotes for him. Let me find that for a minute. He says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. In our, in our space lies our growth, or in this space lies our growth and freedom. Hopefully I quoted that right. You could look it up. But Viktor Frankl, you know, was someone who experienced a level of adversity and difficulty in life that most of us will never face. He was a prisoner, and I can't remember which concentration camp at this moment, but he was a prisoner, you know, during the war, World War II, because he was of Jewish descent. Um, he was a young married man. You know, he had he hadn't been married for very long. He was a doctor of of I think psychiatry, um, but he, you know, he was an intelligent, thinking, um, highly developed human being, and because of who he was, you know, he was hated, and he was imprisoned. Now, because of his skills, uh, I think he was you know, given uh, horrible jobs, actually, but he was separated some from those that who, um, you know, immediately died, and he lived throughout the war. But he goes through his process of how he stayed alive, you know, how did he respond to this environment that was just atrocious, you know, subhuman, and how he recognized some really key principles, right? One of them is that people can't actually take from us, no matter how, what's happened to us in our life, they can't take from us our internal freedom. It's actually not something someone can take from you. You have to give it away. And he saw people give up, right? Give up that, their humaneness. You know, the people that he saw that lived were those that, you know, kept that sense of love. You know, they gave a last piece of bread to someone else. They shared their bunk or their blanket. And those people, he said, uh, would push forward because they were still sharing emotions of love and compassion. These are higher energy emotions and they literally lived longer. And he saw people that would moved into lower level emotions like fear, jealousy, and, you know, resentment. Um, it didn't take long for them to pick up the diseases that were in the camp and to pass away. So in this book, he talks, he has something called logotherapy. And if you want to look into it more, it's amazing, but it's, it's kind of the power of the mind and how to, you know, have this mindful approach to life. That was my first exposure to mindfulness. I realize that now, right? It was my first exposure to mindfulness. I'm so grateful that mindfulness came into my life because it allowed me to understand uh, that we have to go a little bit deeper. We can spend a lot of time having insight to things, right? Learning about them. Many people are on the internet searching things. I want to understand this, if that's from our intellectual part. But unless we take that insight learning into an actual practice, you know, an actual healing practice, it doesn't become ours. And that happens in these moments of stillness. And it's kind of important to understand like how this all works. I'm not sure if we'll get to all of that in this podcast, but I'm going to want you to start with practices of stillness. So we're going to be talking a little bit about that today. The first skill of mindfulness that we'll be practicing today, and I want you to think about, is called cultivating a witnessing awareness. Let me say that again. Cultivating a witnessing awareness. Now, I'm taking this, and I want to give full credit from Terry Freilich. He is one of the most renowned people that we have right now in my field teaching about mindfulness 
uh, if I get a minute here at the end, I'll, I'll see if I can give you some more information about him. But, um, but he has some core skills of mindfulness, and this is one of those skills. And I'll be sharing more of them as we go along. Uh, but he has done some great work in teaching people, uh, particularly mental health people, how to use mindfulness to help people with um, mental illness. Okay. So what is this witnessing awareness? This would be a, a compassionate, curious, non-judgmental stance to ourselves. A lot of times when we go inside, we reject what we find there, right? We notice that maybe we're feeling jealous or we're feeling anger. And immediately that goes to maybe our beliefs and we're like, it's not okay to feel those things. But yet you are, right? And remember, we have, we have this a response, we have this ability to respond versus react to things if we can accept them. A quote that I really like is, if we don't arrive at a place, we can't leave it, right? If I don't arrive at where I'm at, I can't leave it. Oftentimes, we spend a lot of time avoiding what's really happening for us. Um, another person, I love their work, is Brene Brown. She's very popular right now, but she has something called shame shields. So this is something that we do to not feel, right? We, we move away, we withdraw, we hide, we silence ourselves, we keep secrets, right? If, if we don't tell anyone else or we don't let ourselves think it, and it doesn't exist, but that's not really true, right? Another way people avoid feeling is, or dealing with their own experience, is to seeking to appease and please, you know, the pleasers of the world. Uh, we'll, t we'll talk about you know, codependency at some point in the future, but this is that codependent piece where we just, you know, I'll just do what you need me to do or I'll be who you think I should be and I won't ever really figure out what makes me happy or what I'm all about. And then moving against, this is the people that try to gain power over others. They're aggressive. They use shame to fight shame. You know, I call this the blaming stance. That's one way we avoid feeling our own stuff is to blame others for our feelings, right? It's your fault. If you've never, if you didn't do these things to me, then I wouldn't be feeling this. Um, not, I'm not suggesting that other people's actions don't affect us. Absolutely they do, right? Um, but we don't have to stay stuck in that first response. We have this freedom, right? We have this space where we can choose how we're going to respond to these things moving forward, whether or not they, we want to keep them true to us, right? Or we want to reject them. Something I often say to my younger clients, you know, because I work with kids that are in family systems and really kids don't have a lot of power over their family systems. I say to them, hey, if somebody's not happy, if somebody in that moment, you know, you don't see light and truth and, um, you know, joy in their lives and they're giving you information, in that moment, they may not be your truth giver, right? I said, please don't disrespect your parents. I want you to love them and hear them. But if your parent comes to you and they've had a bad day and they're grumpy and they say something horribly mean to you, you know, disparaging, just recognize in that moment, they may not be your truth giver. They may come later and apologize for that, but that kid still absorbed that information as their truth, right? So it's really important for us to understand that the state that other people are in is something we want to look at, right? The state that we're in is something that we want to look at just some information as we begin to look at this. So I want you to take a minute and do, because I'm going to try to keep these podcasts short, just simple skills as we go along, but I want you to do a body scan for me. If you're driving, please pull over. This should be a still moment. We talked about, remember that this cultivating a witnessing awareness is in stillness. 
in a body scan is this. I want you to stop and just close your eyes and just go inside. Take all of your awareness inside your body, inside your head, you know, maybe inside, you know, where your heart is. Just kind of imagine all that direction going inside. And just notice the sensations that pop up for you. Maybe you'll notice tightness in your body somewhere. Maybe some thoughts will start popping in. Just notice them and go back to that awareness. I typically like to anchor here with breath. We'll be talking about breath and how powerful breath is. But just notice your breath coming in your nose, hopefully, and out your mouth. That's how I would have you learn to breathe it. In your nose and out your mouth. And just notice as you breathe in your nose, about five seconds in and out your mouth, about five seconds out. Just notice, you know, how your body's feeling. Maybe you have been running and running and you haven't even taken an inventory. I'd like you to ask yourself, what am I in need of? Right? What's something I can do to have care and compassion on myself? As you start to do this, you'll start to notice thoughts and feelings emerge. Maybe they're repeating, right? Be curious about them. Be non-judgmental and compassionate towards them. Like I said, part of the reason why we don't heal is we don't allow ourselves to see what is for us. And I'd really like you, I'm hoping you'll take my invitation here to do a two-minute daily body scan every day, maybe this week. I'm also going to invite you to start to process because we have to process things in order to uh, integrate them, we call that. Integration is key, and we'll talk about integration, to healing. People that are integrated you know, they have a coherent story, we call it, or are often the most healed people. When I did attachment inventories where people come in and I would learn about, you know, their caregivers and their upbringing, I'd have them tell me the story of their upbringing. And I would notice, you know, huge holes, like maybe years that were missing, or they would just tell me only the positives, right? They wouldn't tell me there were strengths and weaknesses in this upbringing. A coherent story is, is the truth, right? These were the strengths. These were the things that I gained um, from my attachment figures. We all have those. There's something there, right? And maybe our attachment figures aren't even just our parents. It's an uncle or a teacher, right? There are other people that came in to meet our needs because we needed that, right? So we had those things. But there's also losses, you know? And when we don't do ourselves any favors when we avoid that those losses were there, that we don't acknowledge that those happened for us because then we aren't in a position to meet our needs now. The process of healing really has to do a lot with reparenting ourselves, giving ourselves the things now, now that we're in the driver's seat, right, as adults, even as youth, really, because we start that process of separation and differentiating to meeting our own needs. You know, what do I need? What is it that I'm missing? What didn't I get that I can now compassionately give myself? I really feel like, again, body, mind, spirit approach that a higher power is valuable here. We need attachment, safe, validating relationships to heal. That's what we need. Attachment, safe, validating relationships to heal. Our higher power can often provide this for us, right? For me, that was a real key. You know, in my young years, um, 
again, I had lots and lots of strengths in my upbringing. I know I do, you know, as a trauma specialist, I do work with people who have huge losses, you know, on the adverse child inventory scale, they're way up there and I've got like nothing, you know, so comparatively speaking, but it doesn't mean as an empathic being that I didn't have losses. You know, there were things that I needed, gosh, things that I needed that I'm not sure any parent could have given me because um, I took the world in, in a very unique way. I took in emotions from people around me and I was absorbing all kinds of things. So it took me a long time to realize that I needed, you know, this internal work, but I'm grateful for that empathic nature now. It really helps me in my work, but it did make, it did make things emotionally difficult as a younger person. Those of you who are empathic know what I'm talking about, but, um, it was really important for me to learn what I needed, you know, to really be honest with myself. This makes me feel safe and this doesn't. These types of people, when I hang out with them, bring me light, encourage my development, and these other situations where people don't, right? What we've learned in science is that we develop between each other. It's not me and you, it's me and you. There are mere neurons bouncing between you and other people, and you're picking up their energies and emotions, you're picking up their beliefs, and you're taking these things in. So it's really important to put ourselves in spaces where we can receive the things that we need to receive, that we can be judicious and selective, right, about uh, the healing environment that we're creating for ourselves. And the first way to start doing this is to create that space, to create that space in our lives that's safe for us, uh, bring as many validating, safe relationships into it, whether that be with your higher power or you have a safe friend that you feel like you can process with that will be non-judgmental and just hear you and allow you to hear yourself without judgment. That's huge here. So that you can start to do this reflection. You can start to create this coherent narrative. What happened to me? What am I missing? What do I need? It's in that work that we heal. Yeah. So another suggestion to you, and this will be my last for today because I'm running out of time, is a throwaway journal. This is something I love to do with clients because they need to process. And we can't always process these things when they're raw with our attachment figures or the people in our lives because you know, it's out there and we're still trying to figure out how we even feel about it. And so sometimes it's nice to get some sort of coherence to that first before we start sharing it with other people, right? So you can put that in a journal, just write it down. I like to get just a throwaway notebook, something I'm not planning on keeping and really just record that so that I can have that longhand process, which really does help our brains actually of recording that and just letting myself feel and process that. And then eventually when I've worked through those pieces, Sometimes it's ceremonial for me, honestly, to tear them that piece of paper out, rip it up, burn it, get rid of it, and realize that, like, I'm over that now. That's now part of my completed past. To me, like, past is perfect because there's nothing we can do with it. It's complete, right? To me, perfect means complete. It's done. So for me, trauma work is forward-facing, right? If things are in our way in front of us, then they need our attention. You know, and our past often gets in front of us, right? So that's why we need these spaces to figure out where our past is still getting in front of us. And we're going to start with that witnessing awareness this week, just to notice, you know, what's getting in front of you, what thoughts, feelings, sensations, maybe are in your way and not allowing you to be you. You know, we are, are designed to, I want to stop, start with one of my, end with one of my great intentions, something that I often say to myself, for me, it, it comes from scripture. I hope that's okay for you all. I, I, that's as part of who I am. Um, but it's found in 2 Timothy 1.7. And it's one of my favorite scriptures. And it says, we are not made for fear, but for peace, love, and a sound mind. And I really believe that. 
you know, if my, I'm in a fear body, if I'm my body is anxious and upset, that, that just is indicating to me that there's work there, that there's something that needs to be released. There's something that's foreign to me. The dissonance between how my body feels and who I am, you know, the, the more I'm foreign to that, the more that I'm not in my true self, the more pain there can be there, the more discomfort. And so I'm trying to release these emotions, these beliefs, make sense of that story so I can move into who I truly am, right? Release those things. And that takes stillness. That takes taking the insight into an actual practice, allowing myself to have that space to heal. I hope that you'll give yourself that space, even if it's only two minutes, you know, or that journal. Start to contain it in some form, right, for yourself so that you can do this. I, I wish I could just give you insight and you could just listen and that you would heal, but I'm telling you that's not how we heal. We'll go into more how the mind heals. There's some great work out there by people like Daniel Siegel. He talked about the developing mind, but we need this space to heal. We need this opportunity to integrate our minds and integrate our experience so that it's not automatically operating us, right? That we have a chance to respond to it. And that's my invitation to you today. I hope you will take it. I'm excited to teach you more about mindfulness. You've already started, if you're doing this, to cultivate that witnessing awareness, to get inside and witness what's going on for you. Um, I, I also need to let you know as a professional counselor that if you are really triggered by the things that you find, go ahead and stop. Meet with a professional counselor. Talk to someone. Um, you know, especially if you have any self-harming thoughts, you know, you need to end that work at that time. This is not a substitute for counseling. This will hopefully drive you to understand that counseling has value. Um, you may need help beyond this podcast, and I invite you to get it because that's not what this podcast is for. It's not a substitute for therapy, but it's a great addition to it. Um, sometimes therapy can be a, just a really great friend that we talk to on a regular basis but I, I invite you to add those other tools and, and be aware of when you need them as well. And, and um, I'm excited to keep talking to you about mindfulness over the next couple of weeks and get these skills down and have us go inside and be able to respond versus react to have more freedom in our lives. And I'll be talking more about that with you in weeks to come. Thanks for listening today and, and I'll talk to you again soon.